two weeks ago, actually, uh, Justin made a statement that I was going to have um, my Christmas um, suit on today. Um, you didn't want to see that. Um, because as I was thinking about the message, uh, how many of you uh, made New Year's resolutions in 2019? Back in January, how many of you made New Year's resolutions? Two people in this service. One person last, last service. Okay. Now, out of those three people that raised your hands, how many of you have kept them all the way till today? One person. That's really awesome. So no, I, got a, I got a half hand uh, earlier in, in the first service. But, you know, so I'm not, I, I was thinking, well, what do I, we, we've had a great um, Christmas series that we've preached on and, and, and we, we, you know, so where do we go? And, and I was thinking about, well, do I do New Year's resolutions? Well, um, I knew that for me, my New Year's resolution was basically going to be, can I fit in that suit at Christmas of 2020? Um, but most of the time, we break them almost as soon as we make them, right? Um, and, and, and immediately, if you go to the gym, any type of a gym, if you go to the Y, or if you go to a rec center, if you go to Anytime Fitness, or whatever it is, you know <clears throat> that the first several weeks of January, is going to be packed. Because everybody's made their New Year's resolutions, and, and I've got to get off this weight that I put on from Thanksgiving and Christmas, and I've eaten too many Christmas cookies, or, or whatever it is, so I've got to get in, and I'm going to work it off. But then, if you wait long enough, February will come, and you'll be back at the gym by yourself. So just stay the course, okay? So I decided what I was going to do was, we're, not gonna, we're just going to jump back into First uh, Peter. And uh, we're going to take the rest of, of this month uh, to dig into First Peter chapter 3, 4, and 5. Uh, and, and we're going to finish out uh, this sermon series uh, as, as we break into uh, the new year. And uh, if you've been with us as we've looked at this series, um, we, we've talked about the surroundings of First Peter. Who was written to? Uh, one of the things that we know was uh, Peter wanted to talk to the Christians who were living in the Roman Empire about the way in which they conduct themselves in the world. To remember that they are aliens, that, that they, are, they are strangers, that they are not from this world, and that we are to always remember that. We've talked about the people that he was writing to and the suffering that was happening, that where they were living, they were living underneath of the Roman Empire, and Nero was the emperor of Rome. He was one of the most evil uh, emperors of Rome, especially when it came to the way that they treated Christians. Uh, he would cover them in animal skins. And he would set them loose and let wild dogs chase after them and kill them. He would light them as human torches still alive to light his gardens. They were persecuted. And so that is who Peter is writing to. We've also learned that uh, if we follow Peter's instructions, that everything's going to be smooth sailing, right? We've learned that, well, if all we do is just, if we live right, if we spend our time doing what is right, then our life will be problem-free, right? That, that's, that's everything that Peter's been telling the Christians. No, that's that not even close to what he's actually been telling them. I mean, I want you to think about it. How many times have you suffered for doing what is right? I mean, you think that you are truly doing everything in your power to live right, yet 
you suffer. I talked to some of the students, and they're trying to do what is right in school, yet they find themselves suffering, being ridiculed, being made fun of by other students. They, they decide that they're going to save themselves for marriage, yet they're ridiculed and made fun of for abstaining. People decide that they're going to do what is right in the workplace and in the environment, yet they're ridiculed and, and, and they're asked to do something immoral and they lose their jobs because they, they don't do it. We look around and we see good people dying at the hands of the wicked. And yet, all the while, the, the wicked seem to be the ones that are prospering. And we ask ourselves, is life fair? Is this life really fair? And what we really come to understand is that life is not always fair. Sometimes life is just going to give us a bunch of lemons. Now, as I was thinking about this message, because not today because it's raining and a little bit cold, but this past week has been an awesome week for Christmas, right? I mean, we've had snow, and it's just been wintry wonderland. No, it was like 66, 70 degrees for Christmas and the day after Christmas. Yesterday, I think it got up to 68 yesterday. And so I decided what we would do is instead of doing, you know, we have Christmas in July. Well, we're going to have summer for Christmas. We're just going to switch it around. So I want us to talk about something that we all love, most of us love, during the middle of summer, and that's lemonade. Now, how many of you just like to pick up a lemon and just suck on it? Any, is there anybody here that, yeah, yeah. We, we do it to kids, though, right? I, 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 I do it to my grandbabies. Um, you, you pick up that lemon, and you're like, here, Lizzie. And she's like, you know, she makes that face. Um, I even do it to my own daughter, though. She's not looking, and I kind of shove it in her face, and she gets that same look on her face. Um, they try to do it to me, but... <clears throat> We don't like the taste of, most people don't like the taste of, of lemons by themselves. But what do we do to lemons to make them taste really good? We add a lot of sugar. Yeah. I mean, if you take a lemon and you mix it with some ice cold water and plenty of sugar and you've got yourself something really, really good. I mean, think about this. Could you imagine <clears throat> that if you went in the back and I said, hey, on your way out, we have candy canes for everyone. And you, you, you see people in front of the line and they start taking those candy canes and they can't even wait until they get to the vehicle and they open them up and they start sucking. And they're, oh man, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be peppermint and it's going to be great. And then you get sour lemons. I mean, not too many of us would be very happy if that is what we received. You see, when we do good, we expect something good to happen. But life isn't always working that way. It's tempting to think that if we do what God tells us to do, that we won't have any problems. But it doesn't always work that way because life isn't always fair. Sometimes we just get a bunch of, of lemons. The question, <clears throat> especially for the Christian, that we need to answer is what do we do when this life just gives us a bunch of sour lemons? Do you complain? Do you stop serving in the church? Do you throw the lemons? 
back at the people that gave them to you? Do you throw those lemons back at God? Or do we just make good, sweet lemonade? Today, I want us to look at 1 Peter chapter 3. And we're going to be digging into verses 13 through 17. So let's start at the beginning here of 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 14. Peter says, now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. And here's our first point that we can bring out of this scripture. Life will give you all the lemons that you need. Life will give you all the lemons that you need. Again, look back at verse 13. It says, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? And this leads us in this subject of for the rest of chapter 3, which is suffering while doing good can open up other areas of service. If we're willing to do as Jesus did and to go through that suffering, it will open up so many more areas of serving. To be zealous for what is good means to love doing good with the same passion and intensity that the fanatical patriot that loves his country. To think of it another way, if, if we were truly going to be zealous, the way that God wants us to be zealous for him and for spreading his gospel, it would be the same way that that fanatical football fan was excited during those games last night. That still gets up on Sunday morning and says, no matter what happens, I'm going to wear my Ohio State stuff even in a loss because I'm a fan of that school. And I get so excited and I'm so zealous. But do we bring that same love and affection for the church? Do we bring that same love and affection that we have for for football or for golf or, or for whatever sporting event it might be? For whatever race you might love. Whatever it is that you have a true passion for. Playing chess. Whatever it is. Do you have that same passion for Jesus? And for spreading that message of who he is to all of those that are around you. Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is is good? That word good that Peter uses deals with a lifestyle of doing good. Not occasionally doing good. Not when everything is going hunky-dory, do you want to do good. But it is a lifestyle that you're going to choose to live no matter what comes your way. You see that person, you're, you're on your way to the mall, and as you're on your way to the mall, you see that person that, that has that sign up that says, We'll work for food. Family needs money. Please give whatever you can. And we see that person that's, that's holding that sign. And I remember hearing Andy Stanley talk about this uh, many years ago. He told a sermon, or in a, one of his sermons that he preached, it was on giving. And he says, if you, hold, if, if you see someone holding that sign, and immediately the first thing that comes to mind is, well, they don't need this money because look at the clothes that they have on. Well, they don't need this money because they've got a cell phone. Well, they don't need this money because they they have cigarettes in their pocket. Well, they don't need this money. What Andy Stanley said is, it's not that they need that money. You need 
to give them that money because it's a heart issue within yourself. And that's what we have to deal with because we get so caught up and so concerned that, well, they're going to do bad with it. Well, they may harm someone else with it. And, And what it comes down to is we need to be zealous for doing good as a lifestyle. That it doesn't matter what they're going to do with it, but that you're going to give it out of the goodness of your heart. Have you ever just been around people that seem to just get pleasure out of doing good? And it's almost infectious, isn't it? You see someone that they pick up that wallet on the side of the road, and as they pick up that wallet, it's stuffed full of money, and they immediately find who it belongs to, and they make sure they get it back with no sense of needing a reward. They, they, find, that, they find that tablet sitting underneath of one of the chairs in the sanctuary, and, and instead of trying to keep it as, as a ransom for lunch that next week, they just give it back. As a staff, we held it as ransom for lunch, just for the record. Um, we, it was the wrong thing to do. I, I know that now. Um, confession time for everyone. But do you just, have you ever just been around people that they just love to do good? Those are the people that we should be around. And they do it even in the times when things are bad. That's what I think makes it even greater. Maybe you've lost someone that you truly love. Because you've chosen to do what is right. You've lost a boyfriend, a girlfriend, or a spouse because you've chosen to wait. You've lost a job because inside of your job, your boss told you to do something immoral and you knew that it was wrong and you held your ground and yet you still lost your job. But you knew that you had to do what was right. Sometimes we will be persecuted for doing the right thing. Sometimes we will pay a steep price. Life will give us all the lemons that we need. But here's the second point. Don't stop squeezing the lemon. Don't Make sure you get every single drop out of it that you possibly can. Look at verse 14 again. <clears throat> it says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them nor be troubled. You see, when life keeps tossing lemons in your directions, what are we going to do with them? Are we going to get mad and throw them at God? Are we going to throw them back at the people? Don't do that, okay? If somebody gives you a bunch of lemons, don't start chucking them, okay? That's what we need to understand. Because what it, instead we should do is just start squeezing every single drop out of them because we know what's on the inside. And we know what it can truly make. Those whom this letter was being written to were going through some of the most severe suffering that has ever been known to mankind. Suffering that you and I will probably never have to endure when it comes to that of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse verse 14 reminds us that if we are suffering for doing good, that we're still being blessed by God. Now this word blessed 
in this verse is the same word that Jesus used in the Beatitudes. It means to be spiritually prosperous. Now, now some people get this a little twisted because they read this and, and what they see is that, well, I'm going to be blessed. So if I'm doing what is good, all my bills will be paid. Yes, if you pay them out of your own bank account. Well, if, if, if I'm doing what is good, um, my health is going to be perfect. Not necessarily. And so we have this different idea of, of what the world thinks this word blessed means. What it means to be prosperous. But what it's actually meaning is a, a spiritual blessing. That no matter what hardships you go through, no matter what persecution may come your way, you can and will be spiritually blessed by God. Maybe not in this life. But he will always take care of his children. You see, we cannot allow ourselves to quit in the midst of suffering. You know, I know, I've known a lot of Christians, even some very mature Christians, who have allowed suffering to embitter them, to hurt them, and to allow them to walk away from the faith. And they just, they don't understand why suffering happens. And, and, and to be honest, none of us fully will grasp it in this life. We try to have an understanding of it, but, but suffering is going to happen in many different forms. It's not if, it's when we suffer. And it could be the loss of a loved one because we never know when, when our last day may be on this life. If, if you watched, the, especially the early game, they talked about this leading up to the Oklahoma LSU game. Um, there was five people that were on a small charter plane that were headed to the game. And it crashed. All people, all five people perished. Why? Why, Why would that happen? Someone who seemingly was in extremely good health at an early age develops pneumonia, and doesn't wake up the next day. Why, God? Why would you allow the three-year-old to have leukemia? Well, what did they ever do wrong? And we try to wrap our minds around it, but it's so difficult and it's so hard for us to fully grasp. But we will be blessed. And this life... I want to tell you, it's not fair. But we can be blessed by God. Maybe not always in this life. But he will take care of us every step of the way. Look at verse 15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it in gentleness and respect. One of my top Five verses, verse 15 and 16, one of my top five verses in all of Scripture when, when I read these. And what we see here is number three, add plenty of Jesus to your mix. Too many times we want to add our own stuff, don't we? 
we, we wonder, well, what does the Bible actually say? And so instead of reading the Bible itself and trying to understand exactly what the Bible says, we go read what this person over here says that Jesus said. And we read this person over here, and they have a different take on what Paul was trying to get across. Instead of actually going to the source and reading the Bible. We need to make sure that we're adding plenty of Jesus to the mix. Because too often, we just want to do it all on our own. Verse 15 encourages us to regard Christ, the Lord, as holy. To sanctify the Lord in our hearts. To honor Jesus as holy, it means to enthrone, to worship as sovereign, to acknowledge in the inner part of the mind as supreme. You see, if Jesus is first in our heart, if we allow him to be our Lord and Savior, we will be able to handle all of the bad treatment that comes our way. Because if Christ is for us, who can be against us? The Lord is the one that we are called to fear. No matter what persecution may come our way, no matter what harm may come our way in this life, we should never fear anything that may be coming at us except for the Lord. And that is the same thinking that I believe that Isaiah had in Isaiah chapter 8 verses 12 through 13. Do not call <clears throat> conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts... Him you shall regard as holy. Let him be your fear. <clears throat> and let him be your dread. You see, when Jesus is allowed to be our Lord as well as our Savior, we can make some awesome lemonade. And that's number four. Lemons give us the opportunity to make lemonade. All of the hard stuff that comes our way, we can sweeten it. If we just focus in on Jesus. As I stated in the beginning. Lemons by themselves. They're not that good. But when it's mixed with the sweetness of Jesus. It changes everything. When we're going through. <clears throat> unjust treatment. We can use it as an opportunity. To reach people for Jesus Christ. Verse 15 tells us. That we need to be ready. To make a defense. To everyone. To tell them of the hope that we have. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. How do we do this? It's how we deal with adversity. People are paying attention to your actions. They want to see how you'll deal with things. <clears throat> we read that here. It says, always be prepared. Are we always as prepared as we need to be? It means to make the necessary preparations. To take advantage of every opportunity. Many of you received gifts at Christmas that you didn't like. Or that didn't fit. Or you just wanted to take them back. And so you go to Walmart. And instead of standing in that line that's 10 miles long with everyone else that's trying to return those, those items, and Karen's at the front without her receipt and she's getting upset because she can't return that item and taking up even longer, what we need to do is instead of getting mad and angry, use that and see that as an opportunity. 
to share with someone the love of Jesus Christ. Be prepared. And then he goes on to say to make a defense. It means to answer before a magistrate with a reasonable intellect and an intelligent statement of one's position. And I love what he says next. How are we to do this? Are we just to start thumping people over the head and say, you need to, you, we, we just give them the hellfire and brimstone and we say, listen, you need to get right with Jesus. Turn or burn. No, that, that doesn't work. Peter says to do it with gentleness and respect. We must respect those that we come in contact with, even if they may intend to harm us. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Last point. Keep your mixture pure. When you keep your lemonade pure, you will know that you have good lemonade. The conscience is the voice in our head that tries to get us to do what is right. It convicts us when we're doing wrong. People take notice of our actions. Keep your mixture pure. I want to go back to that lemonade just for a second. It's been all winter. It's been through the spring. But finally you're ready to get that jar out to make that pitcher of, of just sweet, awesome lemonade. And you look inside the jar and it looks clean, right? And so you just pour that mixture right in. But then all of a sudden there's these floaties that come to the top. Because the gnats that you didn't think you saw in there have rehydrated and are now floating and have completely polluted. How many of you are just going to drink that? No, you may serve it to, you know, the life group that's coming over that night. But you're not going to drink it, right? No, we don't do that. We pour it out because our mixture, our pure, sweet, awesome lemonade, it's been contaminated. And we need to keep that mixture pure by adding plenty of Jesus to it. People take notice. They're watching your actions. They're looking at how you're handling situations. Verse 16 says that if we keep our conscience clear, we will put to shame those who try to persecute us for doing evil. Solomon says in Proverbs that we will keep burning coals on their head. It's easy to give up when we're being persecuted. It's easy to give up when we feel that things just are going wrong but what we need to do is to make sure that we have plenty of Jesus in our life that we're keeping our mixture pure with plenty of him and there may be someone here this morning who has really been struggling with that because you don't have any of Jesus in your life right now and, and you just need to turn your life over to him going to sing a song here in just a second if, if you need someone to talk to I'm going to be in the back maybe you've kind of gotten off and you've got some of those floaties in your life right now and you just need to get those out get those impurities out of your life 
You can come to the back and I'll, I'll, we can talk, we can pray. Whatever decision you have to make, will you make it as we continue our worship? Please help me.